Hey, happy Father's Day to all of you. I hope you're going to have, have a great day planned today and uh, have some fun with it. How many of you uh, in this room uh, need glasses or contacts? Raise your, raise your hand real high. Yeah, look at all that. Now, I, I, really, and, I, and I'm not talking about just, you know, to read the fine print. How many of you, I mean, really need glasses or contacts? Uh, I'd let you know, how, how did you find out that you needed glasses or contacts? I remember as a young child uh, growing up, you, you just didn't, you didn't know what, that what you were experiencing was, if you, if you got them as a child, you didn't know what you were experiencing was different than what everybody else was experiencing. It was just normal. As a boy in fourth grade, I had a teacher who was obsessed with spelling words. We had our spelling book, and then we would come in on Monday morning, and, you know, you had to take your test on Wednesday, and if you missed any, you had to take it again on Friday. And so you had your spelling book that you had to learn from. But you would come in on Monday morning, and she would have uh, what seemed to me as a fourth grader a few thousand additional words on the board that we had to copy down that were going to be on top of uh, our, 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 our spelling book. And our first job on Monday was to copy down those words so we could take them home and uh, learn how to spell them, take the test on Wednesday. I, I hated that job. I knew it was going to be there every Monday, I knew I had to go in every Monday and start writing these words. I just, I just hated that. I, I, I would do it, but that was just the first problem because I would get home and my parents would argue with me that I had copied and spelled the words off the board wrong. And I would argue with them that I had spelled them exactly the way the teacher had spelled them. My dad was convinced I was just lazy. <laughs> Probably some truth to that. But my mom, after a few weeks, thought there might be more to it than, uh, than just being lazy. So she took one of my papers and went in to see the teacher and figure out what was going on. And the teacher was pretty smart. The teacher looked at her and said, have you ever had his eyes checked? And uh, so that, that seemed like a possible reason. So my mom made an eye appointment to, for me. And I, I remember two very clear things about the day I was going to get my eyes checked. As we left the house, as we were leaving the house, my dad was sitting at the kitchen table and he was still skeptical. that there was any excuse besides laziness. And he looked at me and he said, this is costing me some money. There better be something wrong with your eyes. <laughs> That's embedded in my head. I just, <laughs> really. <laughs> Here's the second thing I remember. When, they, when we were at the doctor's office, they, de they turned, out, turned the lights out, and he did this test, and then he, he turns them back on, and he looks at me, and he says, uh, so you're having trouble copying the words off the board. And my mom said, yes, he is. And he turned and looked at her, and he said, 
I'm surprised he even knows there's a board up there. <laughs> now, back in those days, you didn't walk out with glasses. In those days, they ordered your glasses for you, and it was a week or two before you got your first pair of glasses. How many of you remember those days? And so they ordered me a pair of glasses. I got these solid black frames. I thought I looked collegiate, you know. I thought I really looked impressive with my glasses. But I'll tell you what, they were transforming for me. I could suddenly see things. I could see the street signs and the words that were on them. I could see billboards and what was written on them, and I kept looking at things even as we drove home, home going, look at that. Pointing to my mom that, that I could suddenly read. From that day on until the day I had LASIK surgery, I never took a step without glasses or contacts. This is the whole truth. My mom would come in and get after me because at night she would come in to check on me and I would be sleeping with my glasses on. I think I thought I could see my dreams better. Now, I didn't know there was anything wrong with my vision until I got those glasses. And when I put those glasses on, it was a whole new world. We've been talking about faith. And, and I want to remind you that, that this is true about faith. We see the world the way we've always seen it. We don't know any other way to see it until suddenly we realize who God is in our life and we put a lens of faith on. And we put that lens of faith in God on. We begin to see the world in a different way. We've been talking about faith for the next couple of weeks. We want to talk about how we see because of faith. Let's stand together and let's open our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. We've talked about some of the people that are mentioned here in Hebrews chapter 11, and I would encourage you to read the story. But I want to skip down to verse 13 today and, and to see what it, what it says to us. And he's really talking in this passage about, about Abel, and he's talking uh, about Enoch, and he's talking about Abraham at this point in time, and he says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and ha having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking about that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Think about that. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Father, we thank you that when we begin to see in faith, we see past today. 
we see into eternity and what you have prepared for us. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be a people who would see the world through the lens of faith. Father, maybe there are some here today that they're going through things, they've experienced things in life, they're wondering about things in life. Father, this week and next week as we talk about seeing through faith, that they need to put on the lens of faith and begin to see the world through your power and your promises to us. And Father, for those who are seeing the world through faith, I pray that today and next week that you would encourage us that even though things seem afar off, that we know your promises are true. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Say hello to a few people around you. Greet them in the name of the Lord. And then... In this passage that we've read the last couple of weeks, that we're reminded that it's impossible to please God without faith. That the person who wants to be pleasing to God has to have faith in God and faith in God's Word. This is very, very practical. This isn't just some religious theory that we're supposed to hear about and wonder about. We are supposed to practically put our confidence and our faith in what God has told us and what he shows us. We're to put our trust in him. And this is where our vision for the world gets changed. And so I, I'm asking you today, are you seeing your world, your problems, your issues, your hopes, your dreams, your desires, are you seeing them through the lens of faith? Are you measuring them through a lens of confidence in God? Whatever trouble you're facing, whatever want you have in your life, whatever deal is going on in your life, are you seeing it through the lens of faith? Whatever place in life you are, young or old, are you seeing your life through the lens of what God has said and your confidence in who God is in your life? There are four ways that faith really corrects our vision that I want to highlight to you today. The first one is this. Faith makes the promises of God real. When we have faith in God and we read and we study his promises, they become solid to us because they're God's word to us. The Christian who's put their faith in Jesus doesn't worry about their salvation anymore. Their faith is in Jesus. The promises of God become the solid foundation that we put all of our hope in. We trust him. It becomes real. Faith makes the world empty. 
We begin to see this world for what it is. It's temporary. We're just here for a while to try to achieve all the things that this world would tell us to achieve and not to do them through a lens of faith. We begin to realize how empty that will be, how meaningless that will be unless God's in the middle of it. Faith makes the promises more appealing than the temptations. All of us face temptations in life and how to see life, how to conduct ourselves, but faith in God sees the promises of God as more alluring, more, in, in, more encouraging than all of the temptations of this world, and the temptations begin to lose their hold in our life. And number four, faith sees eternity, sees with eternity in mind. It recognizes I am, all of this life is about is getting me prepared for eternity. And I need to see my life through the lens of eternity. I, I want to just remind you that you can count on God. You can depend on God to do in your life what he says he's going to do. Now, now here's, here's one of the, we're going to talk about two ways today that we, that faith really impacts our vision, and we'll talk about a couple more next week. Faith sees through the lens of God's love. In John, in John chapter 3, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Faith begins to realize. Faith, when we hear about God and we know who God is, we begin to realize that God wants the best for us. God loves us. God cares about you, created you intentionally, gave you the gifts that he's given to you, put you in the place that he's put you so you can find the fullness of life and eternity in him. Now, I'll tell you, this is, this is easier for some of us when you've been raised in a home of love or even lived in a country that believes in the value of the individual. And, but I'm aware that's not the case for everyone. You may not have experienced a home that wanted the best for you. You may have experienced a, a, a father or a mother who didn't care all that much about you or who were so selfish that you didn't experience that love. You weren't encouraged in it. They were so insecure in themselves that they poured that into you. They never showed that care for you. Some of you may have come from a society where the value of the individual was really minimized. But listen, the Bible screams at it, screams it at us. The Bible tells us over and over and over and over that God loves you. The creator of the universe created you intentionally. He created you to be an object of his love and his grace. He wants to walk in communion with you. He wants you to walk in the fullness of life. Maybe you never heard this in your home. Maybe you've longed for someone to come into your life and to tell you that they love you. Maybe you've longed to feel the security of that love in your life and you've never gotten it anyplace else. 
You've never received it from anyone else. And you're walking through this life with this ache in your spirit because you feel like you are alone. You feel like you've been left out. You feel like you don't measure up and that for some reason you've been set on the shelf alone. I want to tell you today, open up your Bible. Your heavenly Father says it over and over and over again. He's speaking to you. He's wanting to speak to you today and tell you this one thing. You can count on his love. You can't go out in the morning. You can't come home at night without the voice of God whispering to you that he loves you. You can't sit at dinner or take a walk through the park where if you'll listen, you'll see, you'll hear God telling you that he loves you. You can't, you can't have a great victory or face a heartbreaking moment that if you'll take a moment and listen where you'll fail to hear the voice of God in the middle of your victory, in the middle of your heartbrokenness, whispering in your life that he knows what you're going through. He's standing right next to you and he loves you. Do you need to hear it? He's saying it right now through this passage that he loves you. Father, today I know there are some sons and daughters of yours in this room whose hearts have been wounded by the brokenness of this world. And the enemies tried to pour into them, Father, that they're not loved or cared for by anyone. Father, you've raised up the church to be a people of your kingdom to show them that love. And Father, you yourself have sent your word and your son to reveal that love. And I pray, Father, that today, instead of being stuck in the pain of this world, that we begin to realize we are your kids created by you with intention, ordered by you on purpose, and that, Lord, we'd walk through the lens of faith that we know that the creator of all the universe loves us and knows us by name. Speak that into hearts today, we pray. In Jesus' name. You know, when you talk about this, friends, I, I just, I'm just praying, I've been praying all week this week, that, that this would seep into some of your hearts that, you'd need, that need to hear this, that you'd be able to walk out of this place with this new awareness. You'd begin to see your problems and the issues and the things of your life with the knowledge that God has not forgotten your situation, that he loves you. Now, there, there is a dilemma with this. There's a dilemma for the preacher. Here's a dilemma. There's some of you who need to hear this desperately, need to receive it into your life, need to walk with a new lens of God's love on, on, on the way you view the world, a new awareness that he has not forgotten you, that he's with you. And then there's some of us that we have uh, embraced this knowledge of God's love and we make it cheap. And, and here's, here's the problem. Sometimes when you're talking about the love of God or, or something like that, the people who really need to hear that God loves them, here's this other portion of it that 
we have to live in that love. And the people who need to hear that they need to live in that love, some of them only hear that God loves them. And they go on living any way that they want to want to live. You need to know this. You need to know that God loves you, but you also need to be cautious with the truth of God's love. This past week I was uh, reading through an old journal of mine from back in the, in the, in the mid-1990s. And in this journal I came to a day where I had uh, attended a funeral of a man who had been involved in my life from the very beginning of my life. He, he meant a lot uh, to our family and to me. However, this man had always denied the reality of God. He would emphatically say to me, and emphatically he would say to others when we would talk to him about God, I don't believe that. Very emphatic. And as he got older, as he got sicker, he became more emphatic about it. As I went to his funeral this day, he had spent the last few weeks uh, in, in the hospital, and there was a minister that is where his wife, I believe, attended church, who had visited him daily. He was the one conducting the service, and, and as I went into the service that day, I was hoping for some good news. You're hoping that maybe in the last days of his life, he would take in the moment and cried out to God. However, the minister told the, con the congregation that all through the weeks leading up to his death, Till the day he died, every time he'd talk to him about God, he would say to him, I don't believe that. I can still hear the words, the way he would say it. This man, who calls himself a minister, then goes on to tell us. He said, I looked at him and I told him, that's okay. God believes in you. I wrote in my diary that, that day, when my friend needed the truth, he was told a lie. When he needed to hear clearly that yes, God knows you. Whether you believe in him or not, you're going to stand before him. And if you're not ready to stand before him, you're going to be lost. He was given a message that no matter what you believe or what you do, it's okay. Friends, hear me today. Faith shows us that God loves us. But when we come to him, we have to receive him. If you reject the love of, the love of God shown to us through the Son, you reject God. You reject God. His love. He is there with his arms thrown open wide for you to offer you his grace, but you need to be healed by his love. This is not simply knowing that God exists. This isn't simply accepting that God is real or that God knowing that you're real. This is you coming into a right relationship with God. God offers you his love. He offers you his care. He offers you his forgiveness, but you've got to come to him and and receive it through faith in Jesus, his son, who he sent to show you his love. Every one of us must do that. 
Faith shows us that God loves you, and when you come to the Son, God will never, ever forsake you. He has sent his Son to show you his love, but you have to come into relationship with the Son. His love's there. You've got to be healed. He loves you, but you've got to receive him into your life. And friends, this is where we begin. We begin with this lens that God loves us. He loves us while we were still sinners. He loves us while we were still lost. He loves us in the midst of our sin, but he's given us his son so that we can become new creatures in Christ Jesus and have the fullness of life that comes through him. And if you haven't done that, friend, you need to see with a new lens the lens that God's love has offered to you. Now, here's the second thing we want to see today. Faith sees through the lens of God's purpose. When Jesus called Peter, James, and John, he didn't say, uh, come follow me, and you'll have to go to church once a week. No, he said, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. In his writing to the Corinthians, Paul reveals the spiritual gifts, and he tells us about these spiritual gifts, and he tells us that they are given to every one of us. And he tells us that the purpose of those spiritual gifts is to be used for the common good. They're not about them being used for our good, for our glory. They're to be used for the common good. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, we see that, the lo that love for others is really what makes our life count, what makes life meaningful, and that if we do all the things that we do outside of having a, a love and a compassion for others, if we use the gifts that we have but we don't use them in love for others, it's all meaningless. Seeking the highest good is what's called, no matter, and no matter what we do, if it's not founded upon that, our actions are, are meaningless. We are told that at the judgment seat of Christ, listen, there's two judgments that we're going to face. You're going to face the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment is pass-fail, to make it really simple to understand. Your name's in the Lamb's book of life. Your name's not in the Lamb's book of life. Your name's in the Lamb's book of life because you put your faith in Jesus and you trusted him for your salvation. You became born again. Your life began to get changed. And the evidence of that begins to work out in your life. You're going you're to stand. I, I'm going to stand there someday. You're going to stand there someday. In that moment, none of you get a vote about what's going to happen to me. I don't get a vote about what's going to happen to you. We're going to stand right there, and my name's either in that Lamb's Book of Life because I put my faith in Jesus or it isn't. It's not how many classes I took. It's not whether you went through starting point or not, even though you should. It's not whether you're in a small group or not, even though you should be a part of one. It doesn't, none, none of that other stuff. It's did you put your faith in Jesus? And if your name's in that land's book of life, you pass. If it's not, it's the biggest fail of all eternity. 
But after the Lamb's book of life, the Bible tells us about another judgment. It's the judgment seat of Christ. And at the judgment seat of Christ, every word is going to be judged. Every action is going to be judged. Everything that we do is going to be judged. It's why people get salvation confused with, with the need for works. They say, look at all the places in the Bible where it says we have to work. No, it says we have to work because we're going to get judged at the judgment seat of Christ. Because there's purpose for our life. There's meaning for our life. But salvation is this free gift that God gives to us. And it tells us that at that moment that, our, that all of our works are going to be tested. All the things that we've done with all the resources that God's given us, all the resources, whether it's money, whether it's talents, whether it's time, whatever those, whether it's influence, whatever resources that God's given us, they're all going to come under judgment at the judgment seat of Christ. And some will be burnt up because we spent them falsely, and others will be gold that will last for eternity. So we're told that life has meaning. There's purpose in what we do. Jesus teaches us these very things. The man of faith sees with eternity in mind. He sees that what he does impacts eternity, and what he has here is to be used for the sake of eternity. He sees with faith in God in mind. Listen, you want to nail the goal down for life real simple for you? Here's the goal of life. The goal of life is this, to hear well done, good and faithful servant. To make it to heaven and to hear well done, you were a faithful servant. As a Christian, I'm amazed at two groups of church-going people. One, who, one is those people who are just really casual about the battle that we're in, the condition of the lost, the use of their gifts, their purpose in the kingdom. They want to come to church. They want to have some assurance of heaven. But they don't give much thought to all the people around them and all the things that are going on in the spiritual battle that's all around us. Here's a second group that amazed me. I've always been amazed at the people who plan so hard for today, so hard for tomorrow, who work so hard for the few short years on this planet and give little thought to the thousands of years of eternity that Jesus points us to. They store up all sorts of stuff for here. They worry about all sorts of things for here. They want all sorts of things for their kids here. And they don't give a lot of thought that this life is temporary and eternity is the issue. Listen, when, when our children were born into our home, I became very, very aware of this one thing. The most important thing that's going to happen for them that I can help them discover is how to make heaven their home. That's the most important thing. See, friends, here's what I want for you. As your pastor, here's what I want for you. I want you to someday hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's why I tell you the things I tell you every Sunday morning. That's why we pray for you every day. So you'll make heaven your home, and you'll have done the things that God has called you to do.
so that heaven will be your home. Listen to Jesus' words. In Matthew chapter 6, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break, break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says, begin to see with eternity in mind. Begin to think about how you're impacting other people's lives and how you're impacting this world for eternity. Begin to store up your treasures there. Begin to do things about eternity. Because, see, if you store up all the treasures you can on this earth, thieves can break in and steal, moth and rust will destroy it, age is coming, life is going to be past you someday. But if you store them up in heaven, they'll be there for eternity. Now, we're talking about all the things that make us up. All the things that make us up. We're talking about, you know, the the influence that we have. We're talking about the personalities that God's given us. We're talking about the talents that we have. We're talking about the desires of our life. We're talking about everything that, that makes us up. Now, in the book of Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy very specifically to people who have been given the gift and the ability to make money. And listen to what he says to Timothy. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. He said, hey, Get your faith, get, tell, make sure their faith vision is right. Their faith shouldn't be in, the, in their wealth. Their faith shouldn't be in their, their, their faith better be in God. God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Now listen to what he says happens when that happens. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. He says, hey, some people have been been charged with the ability, been put in the place to, to make money. Tell them not to be haughty about that. It's something that God's given them. God's going to provide for them. Now tell them to be generous. Tell them to use it Use it to be a blessing to others. Share with others. And then, he said, in that way they're storing up treasures. Now, you say, who's the rich? You know, here's our problem with the rich. Everybody who has more than us is rich. You you get that? You know, when when you hear the politicians talk about the one percenters or the two percenters, guess what? That's everybody in America. When you look at the world today, talk to some of our folks who just got back from Guatemala. Talk to our missionaries. We are the one percenters, folks. You may sit and say, oh, no, no, I know a lot of people with a lot more money than me. Yeah, maybe maybe amongst the 1%. But when you look at the world, the poor 
of our country have more than the vast majority of the world. You may be living paycheck to paycheck, but you probably got to eat three meals a day this week and you have clothes to wear and a roof over your head, running water in your house. The Bible calls us to simply be generous with what we, what we, what we have. Jesus' last words to us before he ascended to heaven were very simple. Go and make disciples. The person who sees through the lens of faith sees that all he has, money, talents, influence, he sees all of it as a gift of God meant to be used for God's purpose. The person of faith sees all of those things as being given to him by God so he can use them to help others. So we put a very neat little saying to this so we can all re- remember it. We are blessed to be a, a blessing. That's why we're blessed. That's why God gives us the stuff he gives us, so that we can be a funnel of that stuff to other people. And he tells us that when we do that, when we bless others, he continues to bless us. Now, some people really like in-your-face preaching as long as it's in someone else's face. <laughs> so I'm just going to read a passage of Scripture here today. And, uh, and you can do with it as you will. But the Scripture is supposed to be our standard for faith and conduct, isn't it? Here's what it says. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. For the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statues and not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return to you? Will a man rob God, yet you are robbing me? But you say, how have we robbed you? And tithes and contributions. You are cursed with the curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down uh, for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not, bear, shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. So now the enemy comes along, and he wants to whisper in your All the church is, is, after, is, is after your money and after your stuff. And uh, uh, what, what we're really after is for you to be blessed. For you to be blessed. For God to take care of you. For you to live through the lens of God's blessing. Now, I know for some of you, that passage is a pretty radical thing. For somebody like me who's grown up in the church, who's done that all their life, it's not a radical thing at all. It's just the way the world works. It's the way the kingdom of God works. But if you've never experienced that, this seems like a pretty radical step. And, and God is really merciful to us in it. He says, okay, put me to the test in this. Test me. In other words, start, just start trying. Just do something more than what you're doing now. Begin to move towards full obedience and see if I will not begin to bless you. And so my challenge to you is, wherever you're at in this, you're a brand new Christian and you've never heard anything like this before and that seems pretty wild to you. 
Well, that's because you're putting on a new set of glasses to see in a way you haven't seen before. And he says, okay, try them on and put me to the test. See if I won't pour out the blessing upon you. Faith sees life, all of life, all of resources, all the stuff with purpose, with purpose. You have a divine purpose. Back in the early 1900s, before communism had swept over China, there was an American company that wanted to expand their business into China. At a meeting of the team executives, they discussed their plan, and they, they decided that they needed to hire an American that could be their man in China. They, they wanted a man who could speak the language, who was comfortable in the culture, who knew the customs and could live there. And, and they didn't know how to go about finding such a person. And one of the executives, who was a church-going guy, uh, spoke up and said he knew just the guy. That his church actually gave, uh, gave some money to a man who was working in China as a missionary. And they actually packed this executive up and sent him to China. didn't have all the ways to communicate that we have now. And they sent him to China to offer this missionary a job. They would be willing to pay him $20,000 a year and all of his expenses, which, you know, to us doesn't seem like a lot, but it would be like a half a million dollars today. So the executive goes to China, and he finds the missionary living a very meager life. And he tells him about the job, and he says to him, we're, we're willing to pay you $10,000 a year and all your expenses. And the missionary looked and said, uh, no, no, thanks, I'm not interested. He said, okay, $12,000 a year. He said, no, I'm not, not really interested. He explained some more of the things to him and said, listen, our company really wants to expand here, and we, we need somebody just like you. We'll pay you $15,000 a year and all your expenses. He said, no, 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 no. Finally, he said to him, okay, this is the top offer I can give, I can give you, $20,000 a year. And the missionary said, no, I'm not interested. Then he said, I, I don't understand, the executive, he said, I don't understand, I've come all this way, and this job's a great opportunity, you're already here, you could be living such a, a, a life of ease compared to what you're living now, it isn't the pay enough? And the missionary looked at him and said, oh, no, no, what you're offering is worth far more than what the job's worth. And the guy says, then what's the problem? He said, the job isn't important enough. The job isn't important enough. What was he saying? I've been given a purpose, an eternal purpose. And to neglect it for an easier lifestyle and for more money just isn't worth it to me. The job isn't important enough. Listen, wherever God calls you to do for a career, wherever God places you, whatever things God brings into your life, in the middle of all of that, there is an eternal purpose. 
There's an eternal work. When faith opens your eyes to the purpose of God, suddenly how short-sighted we are to just be living for this earth and this moment becomes obvious for us. But when we see through the lens of faith, we begin to see our goals, our dreams, our desires, our hobbies, our careers differently. Some of them, I'll tell you, we simply lose interest in them. They're just not that big a deal anymore. Others we begin to see with new light of why we are actually there, why God has actually given us that place, why God has actually put us in the middle of that world, why you have the interest you have. Faith sees the eternity even in the temporal. It begins to see that there's a reason God made me, created me the way he did. And when I do that, there is fullness of life. So here's my question. Do you see the eternal purpose of your life? If not, you need to put on the lens of faith and look again. Why are you here? Why are you on this planet? Why are you living at this time? Why has God put you where he's put you? There's an eternal reason for all of it. God is a master at putting us in just the right places to do what he wants us to do to make a difference in other people's lives. Hebrews calls to us, and it says to us, you can be a hero of faith. Look at these men and these women. Look at what they did. Look at what they focused on. Join them. Get your name on this list. Be a part of this group. The power of the Spirit's available to you. His love is available to you. Join up with that group and begin to ask God, why am I where I am? Why did you make me the way you made me? I want to be one of your servants on this earth today. I want to see with eternity in mind. <laughs> Friends, faith makes the promises of God real. Faith makes the world empty. Faith makes the promise more appealing than temptation. And faith sees with eternity in mind. If you follow it, if you see through faith, the day's going to come when you're in heaven and the people God meant you to impact will be around you. And you'll see the reward of a faithful life. I don't want to miss that day. I want to hear, well done. How about you? Let's stand together today and let's pray. Prayer teams, would you come on down front, please? Fathers, we close this service today. I thank you for the men and women here. I thank you for Father's Day and what fathers mean to us and how they impact our life. Today I want to encourage this body that you love them. You care about them. And today, Father, I want to challenge this body to see with eternity in mind. I believe that's what you've called us to do today. Lord, to measure our lives and to do what you would call us to do to make a difference in other people's lives. So today, Father, just in these next few moments, speak to every one of us. And call us to be those heroes of faith that you would have for us to be. 
In Jesus' name. Is every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment? I'm making one simple appeal today before we open these altars. What about you and God, friend? Where the first thing happens is when you realize, I'm going to stand before God someday. I better stand there as a follower of Christ, as one who's put my faith in Jesus. Have you done that? Do you need to do that today? You'll say today, I want my life to be changed for eternity's sake. I want Christ in my life today. We just raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me right now in Jesus' name. Just ask the Lord, just a simple, God bless you others today. You'll raise your hand and say, pray for me. Anyone else? Father, you know the condition of every heart in this room. And Lord, I know you love every person far more than than I'm capable of loving any person. Father, there may be some in here who a mom or dad, a brother or sister has been praying for for a long time. I pray they would not escape the convicting power of your spirit. And I pray for us as a church, Lord, that we would see through eyes of faith. We would see ourselves as people you love and care about, and we would see ourselves as a people of purpose in life. Touch us and guide us today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Right now, we're going to uh, we're going to open these altars. If you have any need in your life, good news, God loves you, He cares about you. Come down, let somebody pray with you. We believe God's going to move in your life and make a difference in your life. And happy Father's Day to all of you. We love you. Let's live life through the lens of faith. Amen? Amen.